Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for listening to The Press. Hope you're doing great. On today's episode, Shea Serrano, writer for The Ringer and author of two New York Times bestsellers, including one that came out last month. There's a good chance over the last few weeks you've seen people posting pictures on Twitter of the cover of his newest book, Basketball and Other Things. First off, if you don't follow Shea on Twitter, do that, at Shea Serrano. He's one of the best out there, very funny, highly entertaining, and nobody interacts with their followers like Shea does with the FOH Army. If you're not familiar with basketball and other things, Shea presents a series of questions, basketball-related. Some fairly straightforward, like what year was Michael Jordan, the best version of Michael Jordan, and a few chapters where he examines the moment before the moment, the moments that led up to the greatest, most iconic moments in NBA history. Others a bit more abstract, like if 1997 Karl Malone swapped places with a bear for a season, who would be more successful? And was Kobe Bryant a dork? I mean, these are very important topics, and Shea does us the favor of digging deep into each of them and providing an answer. Got the book a few weeks ago, have really enjoyed reading it. Uh, I love Shea's writing. The illustrations by Arturo Torres in it also are phenomenal. So definitely check it out. Get yourself a copy. Love getting a chance to discuss the book with Shea. And also really uh, enjoyed hearing about his backstory. I love talking to people about their background and how they got to where they're at. And, and Shay took an unconventional path uh, to his success as a writer. He's got another really cool opportunity ahead of him that we touched on as well. Really appreciate Shay taking time out of uh, what is no doubt a very busy schedule and really enjoyed our conversation. Hope you enjoyed as well. Episode 17 of The Press with Shay Serrano. What's it been like just kind of seeing this whole thing play out from from the book finally coming out, the 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 interviews, all the media stuff you do kind of in conjunction with that and then obviously the response from everybody that um you know, follow you on Twitter. You see it every day. Yeah, it's been it's cool to watch happen. You know, you just sort of you put it out there and then you cross your fingers and hope nobody says anything too mean about it. What's been the craziest experience this time around for you? I don't think anything too too crazy has has really happened. It's been all stuff you sort of you know you hope for. You hope you make the bestseller list. I think maybe that's probably it. The craziest thing is that we got all the way up to number two, which is if you finish in like the top three, that's basically like like an Olympic medal mm. as far as, as that as that goes. <clears throat> but even again, it was like it made the bestseller list. Cool. But we did that last time. You know what I'm saying? So it's like <laughs> you you when you see the number, you know, they were we were getting number updates every week and they're like, oh, you're at twenty something thousand. And you go, oh, well, we'll we're more than likely going to make it on the list because that's enough to get on there. So, you know, it's like, I don't know. I was maybe just surprised at how high it was up on the list. Mm. I would pick that as the, the craziest thing because I was thinking we were going to get like seven or eight. Mm. But to be two was, was, was cool. You have the experience from the last book, so you probably had some idea that it would get to that level. But... I assume that's something you never quite take for granted. Like, what what if people just don't pre-order it? But to then have it come together the way it did had to be very cool. Yeah, that you you always hope people are going to buy it, but there's no way to 
to know. Or, you know, maybe everybody was just pretending that they were going to get it and they actually did it. I don't know. The whole thing is like a very nervous experience. <laughs> Even now, it's like, okay, we did well that, that first week or the second week we did well. What happens going forward? What if everybody just stops buying it all of a sudden? Because you you can't just look at only the first couple of weeks to figure out if a book was a success or not. You've got to look at it over like an 18-month period. Hmm. And that's a lot of pressure to have on you for 18 months. You know what I'm saying? Is there ever a point where you just kind of let it go? Or, or will you be on edge for the next 18 months? Yeah, I would never let it go. I will check every single day what the numbers are. <laughs> I'll check what the what the Amazon ranking is. It's, it would always be like that. Do you do you still check the Rev Yearbook? Oh yeah, and that's been over two years. So you know, it's that's the sucky part that nobody tells you about, or that you don't realize until you get into it. Have you <clears throat> have you had to learn how to deal with that? Like the first time around, is it is it any different than when you put out the Rev Yearbook? No, there's no learning how to deal with it. You just are nervous all of the time. <laughs> and that's, that's just your, your life. <clears throat> I'm sure some people don't approach it that way. I'm sure some people, the book comes out and they're like, cool, a book came out, I'm done. But I always feel like I, I need for it to do well because I want the people I work for to be proud of me, hmm. which, is, which is maybe like a weird thing to have in your head all of the time. But I, I, need, I need that. I'm very insecure. I need them to say, good job. You did a good job. You're still doing well. We're excited about it. Where do the, where do the questions come from? I, mean, I would imagine as, as a basketball fan, this stuff was probably uh, just kind of in your mind through the years. Was there a time, were there some that you just kind of had in your head uh, you know, over the years? Or were they all just kind of sitting down and, and banging them out as the idea for the book kind of came about? No, I started out with a list of questions I wanted to answer. And then <clears throat> once you start working on it, stuff starts to move or shift or change. And, and it, it's like an evolving situation where one thing that I thought was only going to be a footnote ended up being an entire chapter. Or one thing I thought that was going to be an entire chapter just didn't have the legs. Hmm. I thought it would. And <clears throat> you you work your way through it and stuff changes as you go. You know, you have a general template in place, a general idea or plan, mm -hmm. and then you're just doing your best not to get too far away from that. The the first one I read when I got the book, being a Philly guy, was the AI and Dwayne Wade chapter, and I enjoyed that one, mm -hmm. uh, the, the most influential of the two. And I was I was very appreciative of, of the way the the judge, so to speak, ruled in AI's favor at the end of that one. How, how did Where did that kind of idea come from? That one came from I was I was just watching a basketball game and Dwayne Wade was playing, so I was thinking about about him. And then I was trying to figure out people don't really understand how good of a player he was. He had like 2006. He had the most statistically dominant NBA Finals of anybody in history, hmm. which is unbelievable. And and people don't realize that that like how just great he was and also how important he was as far as that that was immediately after they got rid of the hand checking rule hmm. so he was like the guy who showed how impactful a driving guard could be in the new nba and he just i felt like he never 
gets brought up as far as influential or important basketball players are concerned. So I wanted to write about that, but I didn't just want it to be that. I needed a, a way to make it entertaining. So let's let's match him up against somebody that everybody automatically understands is important or influential, and let's have them go back and forth because that's an easy way for me to give out all the information about Dwayne Wade that needs to be given out without it feeling contrived or, or like I'm forcing it down anybody's throat. What's, what's your impression of AI? How big of an AI guy are you? Oh, how, how can you not love him? He's fantastic. He was there when I was, shoot, how old was I at the time? Maybe about 19 or so when he was really taken off and becoming this sort of phenomenon. And that's a very influential time in your life. And you're like, this is very clearly the coolest guy in the <laughs> coolest sport. And so, you, you, you know, you're drawn to him. He just had all of the best parts of basketball sort of ingrained in him. He was, uh, he was smaller than everyone, but also fiercer than everyone. And he just always seemed like a guy getting ready for a war that he knew he was going to die in. <laughs> and he just, just never showed any fear about it. And that's, you know, that's a thing that's very compelling for most people. Yeah, he was drafted, I was a sixth grader when he was picked. So you talk about just formative years of, of his career. And for me as a sports fan, it's middle school, it's high school and into college. Um, shoot, I, I remember like watching Lisa Salter say that he was getting traded and just like sitting there as a senior in college, like crying in my living room. Like, I can't believe this is mm-hmm. actually happening. Uh, and, and so I always talk to like fellow sports fans, guys that I'm friends with, like who, who is that guy for you? Because I'll never be a fan of anybody the way I was a fan of AI, just because he came about at a specific you know, period of life. And now I'm 32 and I've got people that, you know, you're fans of, you appreciate, but never in that way. Who is that guy for you? Reggie Miller. Yeah. So, so him writing, <laughs> so him writing the forward for your book, that's a big deal. Yeah. That was the whole reason I wanted for him to write the forward. It was all of those same things. He was I, I just happened to cross him. We didn't, you know, we didn't have cable at the time. So in San Antonio, you don't watch a lot of basketball games that weren't Spurs games, but I happened to cross him playing like a Sunday afternoon game. And I was, you know, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh my God, this guy's incredible. He was running his mouth. He was shoving people. He was shooting threes, which I could, I was never able to dunk. I still can't dunk, but I could <laughs> shoot a three. I could pretend to be him. Yeah. He was that guy for me. I, I, he was the first basketball player whose jersey I asked for. He was the first basketball player whose shoes I asked for. It was like a, a brief period where I was trying to get people to call me Reggie when we would play. <laughs> and like, that was my basketball name. Like he was exactly that dude for me. And I had that same experience where when he retired, cause Reggie never got traded, but when he retired, they lost to the Pistons that year in the playoffs and everybody, it, it was in Indiana. Larry Brown called the timeout so that, I mean, Larry Brown was the coach of the Pistons at the time. Um, so he called a timeout after they had taken Reggie out so that everybody could continue cheering for him and everyone in the audience was just crying. And I was, it was a very moving experience for me, too. He was, he was that guy who just – he was the guy who made me fall in love with basketball, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the Sixers and, and Pacers had a sneaky good rivalry in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and Reggie and those guys were like the last hurdle that Philly had to clear before they, of course, made their finals run. 
Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, Reggie, Reggie was great. And I guess, you know, it's, it's interesting hearing you say that because, uh, he, he doesn't have that superhuman way about him that MJ and LeBron and these other guys do. Um, you know, he's obviously tall and athletic, but he doesn't blow you away in that sense. It's his ability to shoot, but obviously just his persona and his personality on the court that made him so amazing. And like, there's, is there... I, I'm trying to think if there's anybody close to Reggie in that sense as kind of an antagonist. Maybe maybe Draymond is the closest thing that we have right now, but there's nobody quite like Reggie's personality. For you to have a guy take Reggie's role on, you need somebody who's sort of punching upwards, hmm. which is why Iverson worked in that capacity too because he was always the underdog. And even when they played like when they played the Raptors in the playoffs, everyone was like, oh, Vince Carter is very clearly going to destroy this guy. Mm-hmm. And Iverson never backed down. And then when they played the Bucks, they're like, oh, Ray Allen has given him the business, and Iverson didn't back down. And then they got to the finals, and it was like, oh, surely Kobe and Shaq yeah. will intimidate him. And he never backed down. You need to not be the best team to have a player like a Reggie or an Iverson who can just sort of capture your heart. Yeah. Getting back to the book, in terms of in terms of the chapters, what's the best one you think hit the cutting room floor that you wish you could have done but just didn't work for the book? Uh, we had a bunch of, <laughs> I say a bunch, we had like erotica in there <laughs> that just didn't, it didn't fit. It just was all it was. It was, those were the last few cuts we had to make where it was like, all right, these chapters are not going to they're not going to work. Cause I had a template in place. Okay. I want to have like seven chapters in here. There are 33 chapters total. So uh-huh. I need seven of them to be like stats based chapters. I need eight of them to be history based chapters. I need seven to be silly chapters. I, you know, I had a, I wanted the book to have an even feel to it. Mm-hmm. And we just ran out of space with the silly stuff. And those were the ones we ended up choosing to cut sadly. <laughs> Have you thought of any sense writing the book that you're like, oh, shoot, I wish I had thought of that one? No, I, I turned my brain off after the, <laughs> you know, we finished it. I was going to say, because both your books would lend themselves to updates of some sort, but I'm sure that's something that you don't want to think about. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to update them anytime soon, certainly, but it would be, eventually, I, I imagine it would be fun to go back because there's the way that they're designed, they're like easily consumable things so you can add on to them no problem like it would make sense to me in 2019 to do a new version of the rapture book with five extra chapters on it you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um so yeah that would make sense to do but i probably will never do it because it's just too much work what was the research process like because i mean it's I was just reading through the uh, greatest fictional basketball players, and and you uh, at some point wrote about going back and reading the uh, watching the movies and watching the TV shows and that sort of thing. So there's there's stuff like that um, where you're able to you know look up these old clips and get a better context for how the Teen Wolf would stack up to Will Smith. Um, but then obviously the stats-based stuff, you're having to dig into numbers. Like what was the research like going from one chapter to the next and kind of devoting your time to dig into whatever the topic is and try and come up with a, an answer to these questions, so to speak? The research in all the chapters was very much the same. Like you have a subject and now you just need to learn all of the information you can about the subject, but also all of the information 
about the stuff surrounding the subject. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it was the same way with like when we did it, we talked about the rap yearbook. I had to learn everything about a song and then I had to learn everything about what rap was doing at the time. And then I had to learn everything about all of the stuff that was happening outside of rap that was sort of influencing it. It's the same thing here. You start with one thing in the middle, you work your way out to the next layer and then you end up on the periphery sort of gathering all the things you can. So each, each chapter took like, you know, two weeks of research, but you just like pick your thing and and jump in there. So if we're doing say, there's a very silly chapter in there about Carl Malone and a, and a bear. (laughs) And we're going to, we're going to take them. We're going to take Carl Malone. We're going to put him in a forest for an entire basketball season. And we're going to take a bear and we're going to put him on the jazz for an entire basketball season. We're going to see who has a better or more successful season. So it was like, okay, I need to, I need to learn all about Carl Malone. So I would, you know, read through this John Stockton Carl Malone book that I found. And then I'm going to watch the Carl Malone documentary. And then I'm going to have my researchers send me a whole bunch of Carl Malone articles that were written during, you know, whatever years I need for them to be. And then I'm going to research all about fucking bears for two weeks. And I'm going to read books about bears and watch documentaries about bears and figure out how can I connect these two. So you just do that every time. And the trick to writing a silly thing is you have to just take it very seriously because if you take it seriously, if it's clear that the research was done, then people will, you know, if they don't respond to it, they'll at least respect it, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, that's a hard thing to pull off when you're talking about stuff that's as dumb as some of the things we were writing, but that's what, you know, you're aiming for. How, how, how much of a challenge was the the research side of it or, or just as a basketball fan or somebody with varying interests, was it fun to just kind of explore one, you know, quirky thing for, for two weeks and kind of go all in on that? No, it's not that much fun. You think it's <laughs> going to be fun and then it ends up not being because like, if I want to write about the Sean Kemp dunk on Alton Lister, hmm. I don't just, I, uh, of course you watch the dunk, but then you have to like learn everything about all of the pieces of that. And that part is like, it feels very tedious. And after you've done it a bunch of times and you know what you're about to get into before each one, it's just like, okay, here we go. And I, like, I know I'm about to run this marathon again or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's sucky. Definitely researching a book is super, super sucky, but it's less sucky if you're doing it about something you like at least. So, you know, there you go. I uh, the, I mean, there's a lot I love about the book. The footnotes, I think, are great. I find myself laughing at the footnotes as much as anything. Um, and obviously the the illustrations. What's your relationship with Arturo? Uh, he's just a guy who I met on the internet. Really? How how long have you guys known each other? Yeah. As of today, we've known each other for I don't know about three years, hmm. something like that. How'd you? Yeah. How'd you come across him or come across his work, I guess? There's a, this rap group called the Outfit Texas. They're based out of Dallas, but they do a lot of stuff in Houston. And I was, I was a big fan of their music. And he did a flyer for a concert they were having. And I saw the flyer. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, this is exactly the type of art that I've been looking for. Hmm. I was working on the rap yearbook. And so I got in contact with them. They connected me to their manager, and then she connected me to uh, Arturo. And then I hit him up and got him on the phone, and 
talked them into illustrating the book. <laughs> and now, and now, too, how'd you come up with the ideas for the illustrations? Well, usually, what I would try to do is just get out of his way as much as possible. So for most of the chapters, whenever I had a, an art thing, it would be like, okay, this is the tone of the chapter. This is the guy that I need in it. I need this guy doing something that feels like that. Hmm. So with a disrespectful dunk chapter, for example, there's a picture in there of Scottie Pippen, and he's wearing glasses and a trench coat and jeans, but also his jersey, and he's mm -hmm. walking away from an explosion. Mm -hmm. And when we were working on the chapter, I said, okay, I'm writing about disrespectful dunks. Scotty's the main guy in it, and I need a picture of him doing something cool. And that's all that I told him. And then, you know, a few days later, he sent me that, that artwork. Hmm. And that's usually how it works. Every once in a while, it would be a very specific thing, like with the Chris Mullen and Ivan Drago and Gaio chapter, I mean, artwork. That was when I said, okay, I need these three guys in here doing this exact thing. But that is a, is a rare occasion. For the most part, I just tell him what I'm writing about, and then he's like, oh, how about if we do this? And then I say, cool, go for it. I would imagine that blows your mind every single time when he comes back to you with something because all every everyone in the book is is amazing. Yeah, he was really, he did a really good job uh, on this one. He did a much better job here than he did on the rep here book. He's just gotten so much better so fast because back then he was doing it part time. He was working like at Urban Outfitters at the same time or some shit like that. Hmm. And now he's just a full time illustrator devoting all of his energy to it. So yeah, he was he he was not fucking around this time. Do you, do you have a favorite? Was there one that he brought back to you that kind of blew you away? That Scotty Pippen one is probably my favorite picture in the book. Yeah, and Dominique dunking on Jesus isn't bad either. Yeah, I like that one. That one had a lot of edits in it, though. <laughs> why I don't I don't care too too much for it. <laughs> is it crazy to think where you are right now? I mean, you started writing what is it about a decade ago? Uh, yeah, the first freelance thing I did was at the end of 2007 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so about 10 years. And for, it was just like a small local publication? Yeah, it was for a neighborhood newsletter that this woman was printing up in her garage with her husband. That was the first thing I did. And then I freelanced for like seven years before I started, like before I got an actual writing contract. Yeah. What did you study? You were at, was it Sam Houston State? Is that where you went? Mm -hmm. I went to Sam Houston. I got a degree in psychology. Hmm. What, did, what was the idea with that? Where did you, where did you think that would lead you? Uh, the idea was I was going to leave school, become a teacher for a while, and then eventually become like a guidance counselor at a school. That was my, my plan. And then you were teaching... Um, mm -hmm. and you kind of had to start writing out of necessity I mean, you guys are just looking to, you're looking for another, another paycheck, looking for another source of income. And that's kind of how that started. Yeah. Teachers don't make a whole bunch of money. And we ended up in a spot where my wife had some complications with the pregnancy. So she wasn't able to work. She was a teacher at the time as well. And so she wasn't able to work anymore. So we stopped getting her checks and we needed money. And I, I was applying to be like a waiter or, a, or a stock boy at a grocery store, hmm. uh, things like that. But I couldn't get a job because they said I already had a full-time job, so they weren't going to hire me. And this is like, I went to, I got two interviews and both of them told me the same thing. 
So I was like, all right, fuck this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something else. And yeah, I just started, I Googled work from home jobs. Writer was one of them. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll try that. And then I just started trying to, to write. And there you go. <laughs> is that something you had an interest in or was it as simple as like, hey, this is my option. I'm going to get into it. Yeah, that's all it was. I didn't, I didn't know you could write for money before then. I didn't, I didn't have any interest in it. I didn't like to write or like to read. It was just like, that's a thing that I have to do right now to pay this bill. So, okay, mm. I'll do it. How long did it take you? I mean, you said you were freelancing for about seven years to kind of find your voice, so to speak, as a writer, because yours is, is very unique. I, I enjoy it a lot. I mean, it's just like you're having a conversation with somebody and, um, you know, a lot of the kind of formalities and all that are, are out of the way. I mean, it's, uh, you're, you have a way of just kind of putting what's on your mind in a page in a very, a way that's, uh, you know, very clear, easy to understand. And again, um, you know, it's like you're, you're talking to somebody at a bar. Like I, I, I enjoy that a lot. Was it, did it take time for you to kind of figure that out or did you always just kind of express yourself in that manner as soon as you started writing? No, it takes, it takes time. I mean, I had that inkling in the beginning of, I want to write in this way because it just felt the most natural to me. Uh, but it does take a long time to learn how to do that in a way that is effective or in a way that is smart because anybody can just sort of sit down and make some jokes or whatever. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to figure out how to do that in addition to getting all the information into an article that you need mm-hmm. in there. That's the tricky part. So that, that took a good long while. That took a bunch of patient editors to teach me, it, you know, it wasn't a quick process. I feel like I'm still working on it even today. So, And you were writing for the Houston Chronicle, right, for a while? Yeah, I was actually writing for the Houston Press. Houston Press, I'm sorry. Which is, yeah, the Houston Chronicle is the daily newspaper in Houston. Houston Press is the weekly paper. And they had me, a thing that I had to do in the beginning that I thought was, that I realized later on was really, really useful is they wouldn't let me write any articles that referenced myself in them. They were like, okay, we're not interested in that. We don't care about your wacky adventures or whatever. We need that. We need what we need. Do it this way. So you can never use the word I in an article and you can never refer to yourself or what you thought or felt like you've got to learn to do that without, you got to learn to write without doing that. And I did that for four years. I wrote this nightlife column for the Houston press where every week I would go to a different bar and hang out and then write about the bar and like its history or whatever things they had going on around it. And I had to do that all that time without talking about myself. And that was really helpful because it's easy to write an article when you're talking about yourself, because all you have to do is you don't have to really research too much beyond how you don't, how you feel. Hmm. Um, but when you're not allowed to do that, then you have to learn all this other shit. And <laughs> so that's what I did in the beginning. How did, uh, how did you eventually turn that into the the opportunity with Grantland? I was I was freelancing for the Houston Press, and then a buddy of mine got hired at LA Weekly, so I started freelancing a lot for them. And of a thing that I wrote over there, somebody at Grantland, this woman named Molly Lambert, saw it, and she passed it along to the editors. And then they asked me if I wanted to pitch them some stuff. How has your style kind of continued to 
form and evolve since joining them when I, I would imagine you maybe have a little bit more creative freedom. Yeah, over there, that was all that they were sort of concerned with was just write a thing that's cool and a thing that's smart. It was really the only guidelines that they had. And it's the same way at the at the ringer still. So ending up there was really like just a perfect match for me because number one, they were encouraging you to write about the stuff that you liked about. I mean, the stuff that you liked. So they're encouraging you to do that. Um, they're encouraging you to sort of be yourself as much as you can in the articles. Uh, but they're also very strict about, we're not just going to put a piece out there to put a piece out there. There's got to be a reason for it. There's got to have, there's, there has to be insight in there. There has to be actual meat, real information. Mm-hmm. And so that was where I, you know, they, they teach you how to do those three things all at the same time, working under people like Sean Finnessy or, or Mark Lasanti or Juliet Littman, <clears throat> um, like they teach you how to do that and then you just keep on doing that. So you've got that going on. Plus that was a prestigious place. Grantland was like the ringers a prestigious place now. Mm-hmm. So when they reach down and grab you or when they touch you on the forehead and say like, this person is doing a good thing, everybody else around responds the same way. So once I got in at Grantland, then it was like everything else changed after that. Yeah. How how much are you just like what's the process in terms of you coming up with store ideas? Is it just like going to your editors and editors and saying, "Hey, I have this idea. I want to do this," or are they saying, "Hey, Shay, think about this." You know what I mean? How how much? What's the balance between those two things? Uh, it's probably somewhere like eighty percent of it is me pitching them ideas. Twenty percent is them just bringing an idea in and saying, you know work on this type of thing. Mm. And that's the way that it, that's the way that it works. Usually my schedule is I do three things a week and every Friday, all day Friday, the, all I do is work on what do I want to write for next week? And I'm just putting together pitches all day long and then I put them all together in an email and send that over and then they respond. And like, let's say I send three or four items, they'll pick maybe one, and then they'll take another one and go, okay, this one is kind of good, but tweak it this way. Hmm. And then, you know, it, it works like that. They're very, it's a very collaborative work environment, which, which is something that I need. Uh, today's was the NBA Weirdness Index. I haven't had a chance to read that yet, but I was just kind of skimming through it a little bit with Kyrie as the, uh, the initial focal point. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are your uh, early impressions of the league so far, just kind of a few weeks into it? Uh, I think it's it's been great. You know, we've got all of these new, <clears throat> excuse me, these new angles and and ideas and situations that are that are in place that we sort of get to monitor like a science experiment almost. <laughs> so it's very it's very exciting to see you know what's going to happen with Houston and what's going to happen in OKC, what's going to happen in San Antonio. How is this person? You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of new little things that are, are fun to pay attention to. Which is the most intriguing to you? Is it is it the Thunder? Yeah, the Thunder is definitely the most interesting team as far as new pieces are concerned and how they're going to, to react. Because they're either only going to be very, very good or very, very bad. 
what will it be like when I mean you mentioned the the book stuff never necessarily dies down for you because you're always tracking it, you're always monitoring it. Uh, but it'll quiet down a little bit on the outside. Is is that weird for you, or are you going to welcome the point where um, things continue to kind of settle down because it's been so frantic for you this last stretch? No, I don't want it to settle down at all. I need to be doing as much work as possible all of the time because that's just the way that it works for me. So as soon as stuff starts to slow down, I start to panic. And I start to get very anxious, even more so than normal. And it's a different kind of anxiousness when, or a different kind of anxiety when it's like quiet induced. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's like, oh God, oh God, what do I do now? <laughs> I, I, that makes sense because I guess it was about three years between the rap yearbook and now basketball and other things. So enough time for it to quiet down for you to maybe freak out a little bit, come up with this other idea than, and deep, you know, dive deep into it. What, uh, do you have other things kind of rattling around the back of your head yet? Uh, as far as other books, no, there was, it was a two year period between rap yearbook and basketball book. And we went sort of straight into the basketball book after the rap yearbook took off. Hmm. Um, but I don't know if we'll do the same thing this time because it's just so much work and, you know, I, I've at the moment I have a full time job at the Ringer. I didn't have that when I started the basketball book. I was like, I was basically out of work, hmm. and um, but I have a full time job now, which takes up a lot of the time. And then also we have the TV stuff going on, which is also taking up a lot of time. So I've not thought too too much about whatever the next book phase is. Well, the the TV stuff is a project of its own. Um, what can you tell us about that? Uh, I can tell you that we have a TV show in development with ABC. And at the moment, Mike and I are figuring out exactly what it's about and exactly what it's going to to potentially look like. But we're, it's, you know, we're at the very beginning of those stages. So every time I think I have a, a, gra- a grasp of what it is, uh, something changes so who knows what do you think about i mean that's obviously a completely different venture a new thing that you're launching into what do you think about kind of getting into the tv world and what excites you what what makes you nervous and triggers your anxiety about that process the thing that's exciting to me is that it's all new stuff uh, for the first time in in several years i'm learning new phrases i'm learning new schedules i'm learning new new uh patterns or or templates and that's cool to be able to do that again it's like learning a new career you know Um, and also it's cool to be in a spot where nobody knows who you are because with writing you know I've got a a name in the writing world right now to where it's easy for me to send an email and have somebody respond to it because they know oh that's Shay Shay wrote two books they were on the bestseller list like he kind of knows what he's doing Hmm. but with TV stuff I, I don't have that I don't have anything so it's like it's the very, I'm at the very beginning again, and the process is always the best part of anything. So to be able to have that opportunity to, to go through it again hmm. uh, is, is very, that was a very enticing thing for me, more so than even the idea of just actually doing a TV show or having a TV show. It was like the opportunity to be the new kid in the classroom again. It's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. 
Well, it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes to that. Um, last thing, I wanted to ask you who I should be listening to right now because I'm, I'm very bad at discovering artists, so to speak. I'm very bad at staying current to what's going on. I, I listen to the guys that I know I like and, and I enjoy listening to. Uh, so as somebody who's more plugged in with this sort of thing, who should I be listening to right now? Uh, there's a new tape that just came out this week. It's called Catalina Wine Mixer by this guy named Les, but he spells it L-E dollar sign. Okay. And it's it's on iTunes or Apple Music. You can just listen to it for free if you have that. Mm-hmm. But he is he's really, really good. He's one of my favorites. And that tape came out. It's all I've been listening to today. It's, it's so much fun. Check it out. Shay, I really appreciate it, especially uh, given how crazy things are. So thank you for your time. This is great. Yeah, all right. Thanks, Tommy.